Radiant. The Holy Spirit in Our Lives. A talk by Jess Leach at the Immaculata Mission School 2014, held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. So it's a real joy and a privilege to speak to you today on the Holy Spirit um, because none of us would be here without the Holy Spirit. But I know for myself, I can speak only really for myself, and that is that I'm only here because the Holy Spirit brought me here. I'm only, I only have the gift of faith because of the Holy Spirit. And what's happened in my life in the last five years has only been because of the working of God through his Holy Spirit, um, because it's really quite a miracle. I'm going to share a little bit with you about what happened, just so you can know a little bit who I am and where I'm coming from, but also because when I think about what the Lord did, when, that whole, when the Holy Spirit reached out and touched my life, I think if he could touch my life, he could touch anyone's. Because of just how completely apathetic I was towards the Lord. Not even searching. Really, really not interested. You know, everything was, everything was sweet. You know, life was fine. There was no moment of, of hitting rock bottom, of darkness, of saying, well, now I need to cry out to God. You know, on the surface... Things were really fantastic. I had a very fun life. Um, I had many, many Facebook friends and many real friends. I, you know, I'd, I'd had a lot of fun. I loved having fun and I loved, I loved loving people. And so I just enjoyed life, you know. And there were many good things in my life that I can really see God had done even though I wasn't aware of it. But I never had this experience of saying, there's got to be something more. I've got to search this is in my adulthood. I'll explain a little bit um, that things have been a bit different in my childhood in my teenage years, or a lot different. But I was in this place where I didn't need God, apparently. I was 24. I had been a lapsed Catholic for about six years. Uh, Sister Naomi um, said that you know, this lack of formation meant that when she left home, she became an evangelical Protestant because her desire for Christ was so great. Well, I just stopped going. I did, you know, I, it was very interesting. Same family, same experiences, all that sort of thing. And yet the lack of formation meant that I was just like, hmm. And so I really didn't have this sort of faithful heart. There had definitely been times in my childhood and teenage years where I had desired to have some sort of relationship with God. But I remember thinking, oh, I guess not everyone has a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. You know, like it just wasn't, didn't seem like it was for me, as if, you know, God wasn't interested in me in that way. And so I went, oh, no worries, no big, no sweat. Like, it's funny, I didn't even kind of feel upset with the Lord that he didn't seem to be touching me. I, I just went, oh, okay, that's fine, I'll cope, no big deal. I still believe you're there, that's okay. But because I had this lack of formation, I got really pulled away in a lot of confused ideas once I left home and went to uni and the first Catholic I met at university said oh there's no such thing as hell or the devil and he'd gone to a Catholic university and the priests at his university told him that and he told me that and I went oh yeah that makes sense it doesn't make any sense but that was my thinking at the time I was one of those I don't know if you've ever tried to talk to somebody whose um, ideas about God are just completely illogical that was me you know, my, my brother, uh, who 
like Sister Naomi, went off and became an evangelical Protestant, but now, praise God, is a seminarian in the Catholic Church. He, yes, amen. He told me that once when, you know, they were both praying for me very hard because I was obviously very lost. He told me that once he tried to talk to me about prayer and I said, oh, I don't think God intercedes. Like, God doesn't intervene into our world. And he got very frustrated. He's like, well, then what's the point of prayer? And I, someone who didn't pray, said, I don't know, good vibes? Like, <laughs> like it's just is illogical, you know, illogical <laughs> on so many levels. But that's, that's really who I was. And so I kind of had this little construct in my mind, okay, Jesus is real to me, doesn't mean he's real in general, uh, and yeah, sure, he came to save us, but because there's no hell, therefore he's just saved everyone. So it's as if he ascended into heaven, saying to the disciples, Be good, I'll see you at the second coming. Like a complete absence of the presence of God in our world post AD 33. In other words, no Holy Spirit at work. God not coming into our world, God not dwelling in our hearts, God not intervening in our lives, God's finger not on the, on the pulse of human history. And this is what I thought. And because life was so good, there was no need for me to encounter God in the Holy Spirit, present, working in our world and in my life. But then a really strange thing happened, and I heard about World Youth Day, in Sydney in 2008, and even though I, I was not, I wouldn't call myself a practicing Catholic, I was going to Mass when I was with my parents. I was visiting, I was staying with them for a period of time, and I would go to Mass when they had Mass up there, just to set a good example for the younger brothers, but whenever I wasn't there, I wouldn't go. And at first I was like, I'm not going to World Youth Day. Like, A, I don't believe in the Catholic Church. I'm non-denominational. Uh, and secondly, I said, you know, it's going to be very insincere. You know, everyone's going to be putting on a big show. I'm not interested. But then this really weird question came to my mind, and I'd been reading a book. I'd been reading a book on a Buddhist Quaker shepherd. Um, and I, I didn't normally read spiritual books, but a friend uh, gave me this book, and so I was reading it, and I was thinking, oh, the Quakers sound great, you know, because they don't believe in sin, and neither do I. Um, and they believe that there are all these other inspired texts apart from the Bible. This is really exciting, you know. So I was reading that, and, and um, but then this question came to me. If Jesus was going to be in Sydney, would I go see him? It's so weird that I thought that because I really did not believe in the papacy. I didn't have any, you know, respect or belief in the authority of that position. And yet that was my thought about Pope Benedict. If Jesus came to Sydney, would I go to see him? And straight away I was like, yeah. Like, it's Jesus. I mean, for whatever I believed, there was that idea there that that meant something. And so, bizarrely, I got on this plane all by myself and flew to Sydney and went to World Youth Day to work as a volunteer there. And I was really moved, I suppose, by that expression of faith. I realise now that my sense of it being insincere was actually a jealousy. When I saw these young people dancing in the streets, proclaiming to everyone that they loved God and they believed in God, I, I, what I saw as insincerity was more deeply a jealousy that I couldn't relate in that way, that I didn't, uh, that I didn't have that same courage to profess what I claimed to also believe, well, even though I only believed it for myself and not for everyone. 
And yet, I was still pretty unmoved. Like, I, did, wasn't, I didn't pray. I didn't, you know, I didn't, certainly didn't ask the Lord for anything, you know. Um, I do remember it was my first encounter with Catholics who believed and followed the teachings of the church. I remember coming out, because I was there by myself, so I remember walking out one morning at Olympic Park where I was staying, and there were thousands of people eating breakfast. So I walked up to this one group and said, oh, can I sit with you guys? And they were from California. We started chatting, and one of them was, you know, really passionate about evangelization. He's like, yeah, I started talking to this Baptist guy, and we started talking about contraception, and I was able to convince him that contraception is not okay. And then, like, and I was sitting there thinking, who is this person? Where has he come from? I'd never met a Catholic that accepted the teachings of the church in that area. So it was, that was an eye-opener. But what, what happened, and the way that the Lord, the way that the Lord worked was, that I went to a catechesis session in a basketball stadium and there was confession available. And I hadn't been to confession for, since I was a teenager, maybe eight or ten years, because I didn't believe in sin. So it didn't make a lot of sense to go to confession. But suddenly, sort of in the same way that my gut had made me get on that plane and go to Sydney, my gut said, I want to go to confession. So I went to this confession and... The priest took me through the Ten Commandments and to be honest, I don't remember a lot of what I said. I don't think there was much that I really shared because, like I said, I didn't have this, this understanding of sin. I had no conviction about sin. And yet I remember thinking how lovely and open he was in this open conversation and he absolved me of my sins and those important words and of every sin ever committed in your life. I didn't understand what that meant, but he, I walked away and I immediately stopped. Like, it was like I stopped thinking about that experience immediately. Like, I, I just put it to the side. I didn't say, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Maybe I should pray about this. Or what does this mean? Straight away I was like, mm, what's for lunch? Or, ooh, he looks like he's from a place where they make really cute guys. I was going to say, a, like, an area of the world, but then I was like, that's, yeah. Um, and so... I, you know, I was completely distracted, completely distracted. And I went, I went to the, my seat in the stadium and mass began and I was still completely unengaged. No prayer, no thought, nothing. At one point during the mass, I even sent a text message. I was not engaged. But it became time to receive Holy Communion and I walked down there the same way I'd always received communion, not thinking about it, not praying, not preparing my heart. There were many priests in that stadium, but I received Holy Communion from the same priest who'd heard my confession. And as I walked away, I began to shake uncontrollably. My entire body was shaking. And this deep sorrow overwhelmed me. And I heard audibly in my heart a voice say, how could you do these things when I have loved you so much? And I remember thinking, it's Christ on the cross. And this sorrow I feel is his sorrow. His sorrow at loving me and having died for me and me not caring, not changing anything, not doing anything, not responding in any way. And I wept. I wept there in that seat for maybe 15, 20 minutes, just uncontrollably. And the next day... I went back to confession to another priest and I said, I wasn't sorry yesterday, but I am now. And I told him what had happened. 
And he sent me away, encouraging me to pray and, and these sorts of things. And I went home, and I remember for a couple of mornings afterward, you'd say, I'd sit on the bed, and I'd, I'd sit there for a few minutes. Like, but I didn't know what to do, and I, I, didn't really have, I didn't really have a conviction that I needed to change things. Even though he'd spoken to me so audibly, something was missing. Something was missing. And so the next couple of months, I thought about God a lot more, but it was really hard for something to change. Something was still... Even though I'd encountered that, that experience of Christ there, something was... I can't explain it, but something had not connected. And then someone sent me an email about a youth retreat. It was going for four weeks. It was in the month of harvest when I was working on the family farm. Um, it was daily mass, daily adoration, daily rosary. You know, it was, it was pretty full on. And I looked at it, I was like, I can't take a month off during harvest. I have no interest in spending three hours a day in prayer. And all these, like, objections. But that night, I remember in the shower. I remember it so close. I was in the shower and suddenly I was like, ding, I should go on that retreat. And I got out of the shower went to my dad and I said, hey, dad, can I take a month off during harvest and go on a Catholic youth retreat? And my dad was like, yep. So I did. I, I, I flew to Sydney. I flew to Sydney and I remember, I share this because this is how extraordinary it was. The night, the day before, you know, that weekend I went out with friends. I had, a, you know, I had fun catching up with people. I didn't go to mass on the Sunday. And I remember, it was starting on the Monday, a friend saying to me, why are you going on this? And my response was, I don't know. I wouldn't even raise my kids as Catholic. Now, that was my response a day before four weeks of this sort of thing. And I got there and I was on the, on the Wednesday morning, I was really, I was so moved by that point, by the witness that I was seeing, that I really felt compelled to go to confession. And I did. And I really put, I put everything on the table that time. And I remember walking away and feeling so cleansed, feeling so free. And that night, that Wednesday night, Bishop Joe Grek came to speak. Who here has heard of Bishop Joe Grek? Okay, so for those of you who haven't, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was a Maltese immigrant to Australia who was the Bishop of Sandhurst, which is a regional diocese in Victoria. And he was a man of the Holy Spirit. And his talk was the Holy Spirit. And he was, so he was there just to, to preach to us about the Holy Spirit. And I was, sitting, I was sitting where Justin was sitting. And there was only 22 of us on this course. So I'm sitting right there. We're all around. And I don't remember anything of his talk after the first sentence. Because the first sentence was, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Thus he chose you before the world was made to be holy and faultless before him in love, marking you out beforehand as adopted sons in Jesus Christ. Thus he chose you before the world was made to be holy and faultless before him in love, marking you out as adopted sons in Jesus Christ. And I don't remember anything else he said because I started weeping uncontrollably, it was like an ocean of love. As powerfully as I felt Christ's pain on the cross at World Youth Day, I felt his love as I sat in that chair. And everything changed from that moment. Everything. 
the Holy Spirit had come in and just gone. And it was so overwhelming. But God knows us so well. And he knew exactly what I needed. And I needed him to come in in a massive way and just go to sin, to everything that was in my life that was not of him, to all of me that was not of him. Get like, like a, almost like a caveman. Come in with a club and go bang and drag me home to the cave. You know? He was like, you're not going to do any of this on your own, Jess. I'm coming in. I'm having the victory. This is not your victory. This is nothing. This is not your strength. This is not in your power. This is not in your might. This is by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. And the reason he did that in my life, I don't know about your lives. I don't know about how the spirit is working in your life. But the reason he did that in my life was because I had to do everything. I had to be in control. I had to take charge in my life. I had for so long been the manager. For so long, I'd been the one who sorted everything out. I had had a pretty, pretty ugly and pretty messy childhood and teenage years. And as a result of that, because I'd experienced a lot, a lot of a lack of control in my own heart and my own mind, a lot of, I suppose, fear about myself and about the world because of these experiences that I had. When I got better from those experiences, so when I was about 19, and that sort of experience of being out of control, of really suffering, when that came to an end, well, of course I wanted to be in control. Of course, I wanted to make sure I never felt those things again. I wanted to make sure that no one had any power over me, that I could do it all myself, that I would be a fortress, you know, that I would be a real toughie. And for a long time, that's how I operated. And because the spirit blows where it wills, the spirit knows what we need because he's God and he's, he's coming from the Father and the Son. He's coming from the one who dreamt me into existence with every little part of me, and knew that I would react to all those situations in the way that I did, he knew the way he then had to claim me for Christ. If I'd had to spend five years or ten years slowly, slowly reading a bit more about the faith, dipping my toe in, you know, whatever that might be, the Lord knew that was not the way he wanted to do it in my life. I don't know about your life, but I know that the Holy Spirit knows you better than anybody else. And I know that he is working in you in the way that you need. And so I really, I really praise God. I thank him that I can speak about the Holy Spirit today because yeah, I can't claim anything that has happened in these last five years. I'm just the girl who got hit on a club by a club and got dragged home to the cave. And there's nowhere else I'd rather be. <laughs> it's a flawed analogy, I realise. Um, <laughs> So I want to start in, um, with a reference from Scripture. There are so many references to the Holy Spirit in Scripture. But I want to start with this one because for myself, I almost feel as if this says everything. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, 
If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So I think the first question that comes to my mind when I hear this is, what was Jesus' glorification? How was Jesus glorified? And he was glorified on the cross. So the Spirit is given through the cross, through the cross of Christ. And that means so much for us in the way that we encounter the cross and in the way that we receive the Spirit. When St. Paul says, I preach Christ crucified, the crucified Lord is our love and the Spirit leads us to the crucified Lord. And from that heart of Jesus on the cross flows the living water that is the Holy Spirit. This living water is, it is rivers of living water. So it's an abundance Jesus didn't say, out of my heart will flow a trickle of living water and you should, you should put a cup under there and just stand there and wait until it's filled up. He said, out of my heart will flow rivers of living water, implying that it is an abundance, it is an overflowing and that it's, it's given. Those who believed in him were to receive the Spirit. So the Spirit is a gift. That living water that flows from the heart of God is a gift. It's freely given. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. The Spirit comes from Christ, who is united to the Father. So Jesus is saying, come to me, I'll give you the Spirit. And if anyone thirst, if anyone thirst. You know, I said that I didn't need God, that life was pretty good. If you could have told me what life would be like once I encountered the love of God. It's incomprehensible how different life is. It's, it's almost as if I sleepwalked through 24 and a half years of life. We are thirsty. We don't even know how thirsty we are. We are dry without the Holy Spirit. We are dry without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. And who is God? God is love. 1 John 4.16. God is love. Why are we dry without the love of God? Because we've been made for the love of God. A plant has been made to be watered. If it doesn't get watered, it dies. We've been made for the love of God. If we don't receive those rivers of living water, something in us dies. And if we're only receiving a trickle or a little bit, something in us wilts. Now, of course, in heaven, that's when we're going to have the ultimate receptivity to God's heart, to the love of God. 
And I know there are times in my life when even though I'm trying to follow him, even though I'm trying to love him, even though I'm trying to pray, I feel like I'm wilting a bit, you know? That's normal because it's a struggle. And yet Jesus said, I will give the spirit. It's a receiving. It's a receiving. The Lord wants us to receive. He wants us to receive his love. So we have the spirit of love, and because we are children of God, the spirit of adoption. So as Ephesians said, to be adopted sons in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit adopts us at baptism, and we become children of God. But we haven't always known the spirit in this way. So I want to talk a little bit briefly about the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was a far more impersonal, impersonal force than we understand through Christ in the New Testament. The Hebrew words often translated spirit to mean breath or wind. Whereas we can understand, as we'll see, that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is a person. So the breath of the Spirit was a metaphor for both spiritual and physical life that you receive your actual living breath. As we see in Genesis, God breathes. You see your actual living breath from the Spirit, but also your spiritual life, your spiritual nourishment, that which helps you as that plant grow and shine towards the sun. The, um, the Spirit guided Israel, spoke through the prophets, gave revelation and anointed those who were called to speak, and the Spirit was a spirit of purification. But this is from the Psalms, from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. It's really important that we understand that it's the Holy Spirit who purifies us. I think, as Father Len said this morning, sometimes we bang ourselves over the back, you know? We're like, I want to be... When I say pure, I don't just mean... I don't just mean... (laughs) Chastity is not a just. I don't mean purely chaste. I mean a heart that is directed towards God. St. Francis of Assisi and Brother Leo were hanging out one day. So the story goes. And Brother Leo said, Francis, what does it mean to be pure of heart? And Francis replied, to be pure of heart means to praise God from the going up of the sun until its setting. So a pure heart is a heart directed towards God, and we don't do that in our own strength. We don't do that by saying, I'm going to stand very still and I'm not going to do anything wrong, and if no one talks to me, then I definitely won't sin. And in fact, I won't go outside my room because then there's no temptation to do anything wrong, but actually there's temptation in my room. Like, it's not, you know, it's not our own strength that purifies us. It's the love of God flowing through us that purifies us, that cleanses us, that makes us holy. And the Spirit was a spirit of wisdom. As well as the prophetic word, the word through the prophets, the word of anointing, it convicted of sin by revealing what is in a person's heart. So this is what we see in the Old Testament. And I want to read to you, A quote from Peter Kreeft, 
and he wrote a fantastic book on the Holy Spirit. And this is his explanation of how we understand the Spirit in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. So I realise that we've had a, a very quick crash course in the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but I really hope that this sort of, uh, sort of sums it up. Although God's Spirit in the Old Testament is a divine artisan of the creation, the source of human life breath, the inspirer of prophecy, the one who empowers judges and kings, who convicts and cleanses Israel of sin, and the conveyor of divine wisdom. So even though the Holy Spirit is all these things evident in the Old Testament, God God reveals himself in the Spirit in these ways, even though there is that revelation, the Spirit of God has not yet been unleashed or given fully. God's Spirit can rest upon creation and humanity, but cannot dwell there because humanity and all creation have been separated from God by sin. Rebellion against God that entered the world through the original sin of the first parents of the human race. The world and the created order stand in absolute and dire need of a saviour to deliver humanity and all creation from this bondage so that God's spirit can come to dwell, to make a home in human hearts and in the world. So it's pretty remarkable that there is a a lack of indwelling that we see before Christ. We are very, we are extraordinarily blessed to live in this era when we can have the indwelling of God in our hearts, fully unleashed because of Christ. And so when we look at the New Testament, I'm having an interesting situation with my, my paper. When we look at the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming and anointing Jesus at his baptism. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered him for his messianic mission, for his public ministry. Similar in the way that the Spirit, that the baptism, sorry, similar in the way that the sacrament of confirmation empowers us to be missionaries ourselves. It is the joint mission of the Son and the Spirit. So when the Father sends his word, he always sends his breath. You cannot separate them in the mission. When the Father sends his word, he always sends his breath. And Jesus is anointed because of the Spirit, because the Spirit is his anointing. And there's a fantastic image that's used in the Catechism by St. Gregory of Nyssa, one of these early fathers of the church, who gave an image of oil. That's the anointing image he gives. So when oil is on something, say if we put oil on my arm, oil is still different from the thing that it is on. It's still different from my arm. But there's no separation. So Christ, the anointing of Christ by the Spirit, they're both, they're both God, of course, but they're also both the Son and the Spirit, the two different persons of the Trinity, but there's no separation between them. There's a complete anointing of Christ by the Spirit. So to make contact with the Son, you've got to make contact with the Spirit, even if you don't realise it. Even if you're sitting there thinking, I haven't had a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you've had a relationship with Jesus, you've gone through the Holy Spirit. So there's a complete a complete unity. Complete, they're completely united in their mission. 
And then we have in the New Testament, so importantly, the words of Christ himself when he speaks about the Holy Spirit. And he reveals the Holy Spirit as a person who will come, sent by him and the Father and a true gift. So we have especially in the Gospel of John, he speaks between chapters 14 and 16 over and over about the Spirit. It's, when you read those several chapters, you realise it's repetitive. He's saying it over and over because of how incredibly important it is. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. So we can trust that the Spirit never leaves the church. The Spirit never departs. He says, But the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is like the words of Christ in our heart dwelling there, dwelling there, almost like stirring them up, reminding us, reminding us, I love you. Janelle, I died on the cross for you. Emily, I walked on water to show you that you could do it. Paul, I healed you. He is pouring out his love in our hearts, but we're being reminded of it through the working of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, I, for if I do not go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is pretty crazy. Okay. Can you imagine? Okay, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And yet he says, it's better for you that I go. It's better that I leave because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And that's a better situation for you than if I was to stick around right now. I'm going to leave and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. It's better this way. That blows my mind. I, I can't, I don't even comprehend that. I put it up there and I've just said those things, but I don't understand that. That's incredible. I really encourage you to maybe pray with that, with that scripture, because that's an amazing promise that's given by Jesus. And it really reveals the mystery of the grace of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is sent. I will send him to you. He's a gift and a free gift, and we can totally trust in him being given. There's another point in the Gospels where he says, how much more will the Father send the Holy Spirit to you if you ask? We can completely trust. When we ask for the Holy Spirit, the words of Christ assure us that he will be given. So in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is the revealer, leading us to believe in Christ and to hear the Father's words. And there's a He's the, it's because of the Holy Spirit that we have faith. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, the Holy Spirit is the first to awaken faith in us and to communicate to us the new life, which is to know the Father and the one whom he has sent. So I want to share two stories with you about the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken faith. The first is uh, the story of a friend of my brother's. This is... He was a non-practicing Muslim, so he's from a, a non-religious Muslim, Islamic family in France, and he was a computer gamer. 
he lived for, for, for computer games. He didn't care about anything else. He'd spend hours per day in his room playing computer games. And then one day, he got up and he was like, there's got to be more to life than Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you know, there's got to be something more to what I'm doing. So he Googled, what does life mean? I'm not kidding. He Googled it, right? And of course, all these different websites came up and so he started reading different things and he started reading about Jesus, I don't know, via Wikipedia or something, and just kept going through these different websites and was like, oh, that sounds about right. Okay, that's what I believe. <laughs> anyway, a little while after this happened, he sort of, he, he kind of stepped, took, took his foot off the computer came in pedal, took a bit of a break, you know, and he was walking down a street one day. I think he lived in Lyon, which is um, a city in France, and members of the Emmanuel community, so Steve, who was here yesterday, that, the community that he's part of, they were doing street evangelization in Lyon. And they said to him, oh, hello, you know, you know, we're Christians. He's like, oh, I'm a Christian too. And they're like, oh, that's great. And then they said, would you like to come pray with us? He's like, oh, great, I'd love to. I've never met any other Christians. Because his only knowledge of the faith was through his computer screen. But he met these other Christians. They prayed together and he started praying. And through them, he discovered the Catholic Church. He became Catholic. And not long after that was when he met my brother. He then did a nine-month mission school that my brother was on in France. That is how the Holy Spirit revealed the faith to this young man. So the Spirit blows where it wills. The Holy Spirit knew that he had to hit me over the head. He knew he had to get this guy to type something into his computer. It's remarkable. And the other story that I want to share about the Holy Spirit leading us to faith is something that happened to a very good friend of mine. She's an American. She, was, she grew up um, moving around a lot, so had a lot of insecurity and really not many friends, felt quite alone a lot of the time. And when she was in high school, she made this one friend, Becky. So my, my friend's name is Janika. And she made this, um, this friend, Becky, and they would spend every lunchtime together in the library studying so that they didn't have to go to the cafeteria and deal with, you know, the other kids and everything like this. And one day, Janika was about 16, and she was in woodwork class before lunch, and she suddenly was overcome with this desire to leave, to get out. And she started saying over and over to herself, no one's going to make me stay, no one's going to make me stay, no one's going to make me stay. And so she went straight to her locker. She didn't go to meet Becky. She went straight to her locker and Becky came and found her and said, oh, what are you doing? Janika said, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm going. And Becky said, but we've got a test after lunch. And Janika said, I don't care. You can stay if you want, but no one's going to make me stay. And Becky said, well, okay, I'll come with you. Two days before that, Janika's dad had bought her a car. So they hopped in the car and they started to drive away. And as they looked in the rear vision mirror, they saw hundreds of their fellow students running out of the school. She went to Columbine High School. And that day, 11 students were killed, most of them in the library. And something had told her to get out and to leave. Janika was not baptised. Her family had never prayed. She'd never encountered God. Her whole life she'd felt lonely, miserable and alone and suddenly something had snatched her from that situation. 
So she, she, a few years after that, she met a youth worker at a Catholic church. She went to Steubenville University. She became Catholic. She, her name is now Sister Mary Gianna. She's a sister, a religious sister. But she told me that, you know, when, when she told people that what had happened, they said, that was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pulled you out of there. And for a long time, she grappled with the fact that those, the people who were in that library died and that she did not. And yet she said something to me which was so beautiful. Many of the young people who died that day were Christians. Those two boys targeted Christians. And they said to several of them, do you believe in God? And they would say yes, and then they shot them. And she said it's as if they died for their faith. But I didn't have any faith. So the Holy Spirit took me out of there to give me faith so I could live for God. They died for him and now I've got to live for him. So not only did he save her life, not only did he pull her out of there, but he, he saved her life in her heart, in her deepest self, by showing her that he loved her, that all those years of misery and loneliness, that there was a God who loved her, who personally loved her and knew that she was beautiful and precious and wonderfully made and gave her that gift of faith. Without the gift of faith, we don't know that he loves us. Without the gift of faith, we can't say a little prayer and then experience his presence. Without the gift of faith, we can't say, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? And maybe whatever that is, like Sister Mary Gianna being a sister or like me standing here or like, you know, whatever that is, without the gift of faith, we can't ask the question, so how can we allow the Holy Spirit to grow that faith in us? How can we be in relationship with the Holy Spirit? The first answer is the sacraments. You know, by, by baptism, by the sacraments. And I won't go into that because we're going to have a talk on the sacraments later. But by being in the church, the body of Christ that is bound together by the Holy Spirit and by seeking Christ. The Spirit unites us to Christ. The Spirit and Christ cannot be separated in their mission in our lives. And by his death, Christ poured out the Holy Spirit to give life to many. Taking our death upon himself, he can communicate to us his own spirit of life, says the Catechism. So we, we draw near to him by prayer, we have to ask for the Holy Spirit. I think the best person, the, the, the first thing to think about when we, we think about prayer and the Holy Spirit is to think of Our Lady. So to think about her receptivity to the Holy Spirit. She received the Holy Spirit at the moment of her Annunciation, but we can see in that encounter what her heart was like. How was she prepared to receive the Holy Spirit? How did she want to meet him? Were there conditions on the way she met the Holy Spirit? Did she put restrictions on what God might do? And of course she didn't. She said, let it be done to me according to thy word. She gave the Spirit freedom. So when we seek to be in relationship with the Spirit, when we seek to, to be led by the Spirit, we have to give the Holy Spirit freedom to open our arms and open our hearts like Our Lady and say, not my way, not my ideas, Lord God, 
but your spirit, your life, your love. And then holiness. So holiness is this great marker of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we grow in holiness through, only through, the Holy Spirit. We don't grow in holiness through our own efforts or ideas or, you know, it's, yes, of course, holiness requires discipline, it requires strength of will, it requires all of that, but it's the power and grace of God at work in us. And there's this real, this, this importance of freedom, of giving God that free access in the Holy Spirit that is so, is so central to growing in holiness. And it might, sometimes we use the word docility or passivity, so to be docile or passive to the Holy Spirit. Really just saying, yeah, your, your, um, let it be done to me according to your word, your word, your way, Lord God. And there's something beautiful in the way that this then impacts upon the way we live our life in the Holy Spirit. And we see this with Our Lady at the Visitation. So something I love about this encounter with Elizabeth and Mary is Elizabeth didn't, so Mary didn't do anything beyond simply going to her cousin Elizabeth. She didn't get there and then explain what was happening and give a little catechesis about the child in her womb and all these sorts of things. She just rocked up. You know, she just, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and she just went. She allowed the Holy Spirit to do the work. This is why the Holy Spirit is the agent of evangelization, because she allowed the Holy Spirit to do the work. And because Our Lady was so united to the Holy Spirit, it was so obvious to Elizabeth. The Holy Spirit was shone through Our Lady because of her, because she gave him that freedom. She gave him that freedom to, to be present, to work, to be powerful. I want to mention two saints quickly in regards to looking at how the saints can show us how we can grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The first is Francis of Assisi, who was completely receptive and open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and we see it in the way that he prayed. So there's a great quote that he was not accustomed to pass over negligently any visitation of the Spirit. That is, any time he felt the Holy Spirit was present, he's like, right, we've got to pray. (laughs) We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got to praise God. He really wanted to live this union with the Holy Spirit. He never ignored the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of his brothers said that he would stop in his tracks when he felt the breathing of the Spirit and would increasingly um, seek time in silence to really be united to the Spirit's presence. He also had the gift of understanding Scripture and prophecy. He had anointed preaching and the grace of healing. So he really lived this sort of very joyful, spontaneous union with the Holy Spirit. And the second person is St. Philip Neri. And the reason I want to mention him is because he shows us, this example in his life shows us how we can be in relationship with God, in relationship with the Holy Spirit, but it's like there's this other level that the Lord wants to take us to. So what happened to St. Philip Neri was he was already very, very faithful, very prayerful, and he loved the Holy Spirit. Uh, He was very devout. He'd lived for about 11 years in Rome. He would visit the sick. He would pray. He would study. 
spent a lot of time in church and he would pray to the Holy Spirit asking for gifts, asking for graces to lead a holy life. He was praying in the catacombs of St Sebastian shortly before Pentecost in 1545, so 16th century, and he saw a ball of fire. I'm going to say that again. He saw a ball of fire enter his mouth and go down into his chest and rest in his heart. And his heart suddenly felt inflamed, like inflamed with love. And it was out of this that his, um, he founded the oratory, that his mission with the young men to lead them in prayer, to lead them in study grew. It was out of this that this even greater fervor for God came. And he would literally radiate bodily warmth. And when he died, they discovered that his rib cage had broken because his heart had grown so big because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was convinced in their meetings when he would pray with these young men, he was convinced it was the Holy Spirit who was leading. He didn't, you know, for the 16th century, he didn't follow a lot of forms or formula. He just really let the Holy Spirit lead them. And so I just give you those two saints. We see in St. Francis that spontaneity, that spontaneity of always being attentive and attuned to the Spirit. In St. Philip Neri, we see that hunger to be led by the Holy Spirit and that that consistency and faithfulness in prayer. And finally, in praying with the Holy Spirit, in really seeking to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit, there is the importance of silence. There's a beautiful passage in 1 Kings um, where it says, you know, there was a hurricane, but God was not in the hurricane. And there was a great um, storm, but God was not in the great storm. And then there was a very quiet voice, and that was the voice of God. So to really foster this relationship with the Holy Spirit, we do need to really have times of silence where we sit with him and we ask him just to speak to us, just to grow his love in us. And to rejoice that we are in the era of the Holy Spirit. These are... Since, since Christ's death and resurrection, he ushered in the era of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was, was poured out through his death and resurrection. And St. Peter says, I think I have it up here, St. Peter says, at Pentecost, St. Peter said, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And these are those days. And how blessed we are. That was Jess Leach with the Holy Spirit in our lives. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.